Amen. I love that song. Isaiah chapter 40 tonight. I'm grateful for the testimony of that song and I'm just thankful for the, the truth that there is still more victory. And I'm glad for each and every one that has a testimony of, of victory, gaining victory, taking the gift of victory by faith just like we did our salvation. Isaiah chapter number 40. Let's go ahead and stand together. Read verse 28, the end of the chapter. Very well known passage. Verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. That's a wonderful passage. It's a wonderful promise. God has strength, more strength, but extra strength. I'm going to preach a thought tonight. Very simple, very simple, but I want us to get a hold of it. And um, I've entitled it this way. Waiting. Waiting. Waiting is... For the faint at heart. Waiting is for the faint at heart. Verse 30, even the youths shall faint and be weary. You felt like fainting? You felt weary? Have you felt like your wagon's been dragging? God knows. And God knows what we need. Let's talk about some extra strength in stressful seasons. Thank you. Please be seated. Grateful for the answers to prayer concerning Miss Margaret as well. And uh, I was thinking about Dr. Childs witnessing. A lot of his witnessing is to the medical staff wherever he goes. And, and uh, they're kind of held hostage when he's in there. Miss Margaret was the same way. She said she had about six doctors surrounding her. When she got to the hospital there in Athens, I believe it was, it was in Athens, and she asked them, she said, before any of you touch me, I want to make sure that you're all born-again Christians. And uh, so I said, they're going to give you a shot is what they're going to do. And and she said, well, she's been at it and talking to the nurses. But she was uh, touch and go there for a little bit, and Saturday she just was uh, completely... Um, revived in a, in, in a physical sense, and but also uh, her her, um, her spirit was great, and so I said we'll keep praying, and they'll be taking her out of ICU. Was it maybe tomorrow, or you think it'll be tomorrow, and then uh, she'll probably have be having to go to rehab, and so we'll keep praying for for Miss Margaret and um, and pray for those because she's going to witness to those. Uh, wherever she would be. And let's just pray that God would give her 
fruit and um, for her, her uh, zeal for souls. Verse 28, the question, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard? This, these questions are designed to call Israel's attention to their terrible attitude. The nation of Israel, they had the same problem that we have and sometimes let circumstances affect us rather than seeing the God who's greater than the circumstances. Instead of praising the Lord, the nation complained to him and they acted in verse 27 as though he didn't know their situation or have any concern for their problems. So they were discouraged, they're defeated, they're overcome by the enemy and they felt that they were left to their own strength to find victory that certainly seemed hopeless to them. In this text, you really do find, once again, it's that Old Testament uh, picture of what we see more often in the New Testament, and that's the battle of the spirit versus the flesh life. The not I but Christ life versus the flesh life. Reality is we cannot live the Christian life in our own strength. If we attempt to, we find ourselves empty of strength. The Bible says in John 6, 63, the flesh profits nothing because there's no life to the flesh. You know, when you got saved, your flesh didn't get saved. He saved your soul. Your flesh is, is just as, as empty of life as it's ever been. And so we must learn the key to the Christian life is the not I, but Christ that lives in us. Have you ever gotten up in the morning and just had a strange premonition that it's going to be a bad day? Someone once described a few of those circumstances to let us know if it's going to be a bad day. And I, I've given this before, but in light of uh, this, uh, the emphasis on stress, thought I would give this again. They've asked, they did a survey, how do you know when it's going to be a bad day? Number one, when you wake up face down on the pavement, you know it's probably going to be a bad day. Number two, you call suicide prevention and they put you on hold. <laughs> Number three, you see 60 Minutes news team waiting in your office. Number four, your birthday cake collapses from the weight of the candles. Chris Cherry. We have three birthdays that I know of today, Chris Cherry and Luigi Redman and Yusef Baker. Are you making it without Yusi? Yeah. The question is, Yusi making it without his mama? And uh, when did he turn 21 today? Is that how? <laughs> but three, anybody else have a birthday today? Stacy? Where, where's she on her birthday? Oh, she's up there at Strength Camp celebrating with UC. And uh, well, that's four on today. Well, that is a great day. You put all those together, you wouldn't have a cake that contained all those. And you turn on the news and you find out that they're just playing emergency routes out of your city and you missed it. You know it's going to be a bad day, number six, when your twin sister forgets your birthday. Number seven, you're following a group of hell's angels down the freeway when suddenly your horn goes off and gets stuck. <laughs> I'll give you one more. You know it's going to be a bad day when you wake up to discover that your waterbed has broken. But you realize you don't have a waterbed. <laughs>
going to be a bad day. <laughs> now, it's days like that that prompt sermons like this. Days like that create tension, anxiety, stress, nervousness. The modern day term, stress, is one that's used in a lot of different scenarios. In one sense, stress has become the disease in America. One of the most popular phrases today to use to describe people and people use to describe themselves as being all stressed out. I know many people are stressed up, but no place to go. Stress has become a big ticket item in our society. Last, um, it's probably a couple years ago in Atlanta, and I'm sure the numbers changed, there were seven treatment centers devoted to the care and management of stress. Some of the best-selling books on the market today have these titles, Less Stress in 30 Days, Stress Passages, Stress Management, Managing Stress, Practical Guide to Using Stress Positively, Coping with Stress, Letting Go of Stress. They wouldn't be writing these if there, one, wasn't a need or if there wasn't a market for them. The Nutrition Society of America even recommends vitamins such as B-complex and calcium, magnesium to reduce stress. There's even a national clearinghouse for information on stress-related illnesses, controlled techniques and therapies and diet. And it's where people can call and people can contact to help with stress. We may not do everything better today in our society and certainly, I don't think we are. It's hard to believe several decades ago, many decades ago, we were overcoming significant hurdles and putting a man on the moon. And, and now we're seemingly struggling as a society with much smaller matters. And I think it's because we're trying to do things faster. We're trying to do things more conveniently. I think you can summarize life today in basically three words. It's hurry, worry, and bury. An article in the Atlanta Journal pointed out how even fast food restaurants are trying to speed up how fast they get food out to consumers because they're wanting it faster and they're giving faster options. That might be the goal. I don't think we're succeeding at that either. We're living in a society whose goal is gain and whose creed is speed. But we're not getting any better. What exactly is the problem of stress? It's the gap between the demands that are placed upon us in everyday life and the strength that we have in meeting those demands. Different people call that different things and some call it the stress factor. Some call it the stress ratio. Some call it the stress component. Some call it the stress formula. It, basically, it's the gap between my ought to's and my can't do's. When my can do can't keep up with my want to, well, frustration and tension and stress sets in. And stress is a major problem. We're without question the most stressed out people on earth. A survey of a thousand business people in North America discovered that 85% worked more than 45 hours a week, 81% experienced stress, and 48% feel stress every day. The number one leading killer of Americans is heart disease, much of which 
is stress-related and stress-induced. Americans consume aspirin and tranquilizers as if they were candy. Every year, Americans consume 5 million pounds of aspirin. That doesn't count all the aspirin-related products like sleeping pills, pain pills, pet pills, etc. Time magazine reported in the past 30 years, doctors and health officials have come to realize how heavy a toll stress is taking on the nation's well-being. According to the American Academy of Family Physicians, two-thirds of office visits to family doctors are prompted by stress-related symptoms. The article went on to report that the effects of stress cost American businesses 50 to 75 billion a year and more than 750 dollars uh, for every worker in America per day. Stress is a major contributor, either directly or indirectly, to coronary heart disease, cancer, lung ailments, accidental injuries, cirrhosis of the liver, and even suicide. Stress affects everybody. And Isaiah, we're warned in verse number. 30, even the youth shall faint, be weary, the young men shall utterly fall. Youth show the effects of stress today by resorting to drugs and alcohol. Children are no longer immune to stress. That's why, parents, it's extremely important that you set the boundaries, you set the schedule, and make sure they get to bed. They don't need to be sleeping wherever they want to sleep in the house. There's a bed that's designed for sleep. They ought to have a bedtime, get to bed. And when it's time to get up, mom and dad ought not be woken up by the kids. You ought to be leading the way. You're grown up, act like it. I'm telling you, there, this matter of stress is a major issue. And a lot of it, it is because it's cultivated in the home. And then it's combated outside the home. Children under stress. That was the recent U.S. News and World Report magazine uh, uh, article title, Children Under Stress. And it points out that the magic years of childhood no longer seems to be so magical. Not when kids have to cope with the world in which both parents work, sex and drugs cloud even grade school uh, aged children, and violence is only as far away as a living room television screen. One psychologist, and this is probably a decade old now, estimates that up to 35% of American young kids suffer stress-related health problems at some point from pulling out their hair to headaches. The suicide rate for Americans under 30 has increased by 300% in one decade. Why? Because of stress. But I want to remind us tonight, God is the great physician. He knew about stress before we even knew what to call it. He gives us a prescription that is sure to cure the worst strain of stress. And so I think it would help us to be able to visit at least one of the significant passages in the Bible that help us in this matter of getting enough strength to face the challenge and the, the command that God's given to us as to what we're to be and what we're to do. You don't have to take shortcuts, not when there's a God in heaven. You don't have to put on a mask and live one way at church and another way outside of church, not when there's a God in heaven. Why don't you get to the great physician and let him do the diagnosis? Why don't you do the part that David did when he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Let God do the examining. He sees, he knows, but you've got to be able to listen to him because he wants to eliminate the stress. He may not take off your plate the load. Paul wanted him to. Paul said, I'd be more effective if you take the thorn out of my flesh. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient. He's the great physician. He knows what you need. Listen, I would rather have all the thorns in my flesh that God wants me to have if he'll give me sufficient grace than for he, him to take the, 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 the trials away, the tests away, the stakes. That's what the thorn was. It's the idea of, of a stake in his life. Instead of taking those away and you live the Christian life in your own strength, I'd much rather live with whatever trial, adversity, or circumstance with the grace of Almighty God. Listen, when it comes to the grace of God, by the way, you don't have to pray for God's grace to be sufficient. God said it is. You don't have to pray for something to be when it already is. Paul heard Jesus say, my grace is sufficient. That's like saying, God, would you love me? You don't have to pray for him to love you. He does love you. You just take it. And God's giving to us here in this passage through the prophet Isaiah a way in which we can experience God's extra strength. Number one, I want you just to, to see this, and, and that is there is a guarantee of extra strength. Verses 28 through 29. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. Verse 29, here's the guarantee. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Since God... Who unlike pagan idols is eternal and the creator, he never grows weary. Verse 28, he can give strength to those who are weak and weary. You don't have to be ashamed to admit maybe your some strength is dissipated. That's like pulling into the gas station and apologizing that you need some gas. We don't have to apologize for needing strength. Who do we think we are? We, we, we are uh, uh, finite He's infinite. There's a guarantee of all the extra strength that you and I need. But number two, why is it we need extra strength in verse 30? Well, even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. Youth shall faint. Talking about the young. Young men selected, those in the prime physical condition and most fit for athletic contests. So he's, what he's saying is the very best of the best among humanity. They can't make it without some gas in the tank. They can't make it without some divine enabling. You take the very best specimen of mankind. He's not self-made. No Bill Gates ever was a self-made man. He didn't create, he didn't add water to a package and out came a human being. No, he's the, the product of God's design and creation. And in order for him to experience eternal life and abundant life, he's not going to be able to find it in his own ingenuity and in his own ability. Because even the youth shall faint, the best of the young men they're going to lack. But why do we need extra strength? Well, here's just a few thoughts. One is because of the demands of service. Trying to serve the Lord 
there's a, an expenditure there. There's demands involved. Jesus became fatigued. Jesus became weary. The disciples were wearied. It's, it's, you, if you're going to serve God, you will get tired in the fight. But you don't have to get tired of the fight. It's a good fight of faith. You get tired in the battle, but you don't have to get tired of the battle. One preacher was asked, do you take Mondays off? He said, no. And the man said, well, why not? Isn't Sunday your hardest day? Why don't you take Monday off? He said, I don't want to feel that bad on my own time. <laughs> Adrian Rogers said, the only thing worse than being uh, uh, mummified, dead and wrapped up as a, a mummy is being Mondayfied." And he said, you just feel numb on Monday. And, and uh, for that reason, I've never thought of Monday as being a, a, a good day to take off. And so I just plug away in whatever goes on on Monday um, with, with, a, with a half-fried brain. And um, I know some of you think I do Sunday with a half-fried brain. That may be true, but 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 15 would mentioned to the staff in our end service this week. Paul says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Paul, in that great chapter, great book, 2 Corinthians, that deals with ministry, Paul says, very glad am I to spend for you. Spend is, is uh, I remember Pastor Hardy using an illustration of this years ago, taking out his wallet when his child says, Dad, can I have $20? Spending is pulling out a 20, handing it to your son when he asks. Being spent is when his son reaches into his wallet and takes out the rest of whatever he has. Paul says, I'm glad to spend for you, but I'm also very glad to be spent. The demands, they're tiring. And only the demands of service require extra strength, but also the dissipation of sin. Sin. Sin causes a leak within our lives. Samson, the heavyweight champion of the Old Testament, he wist not that the Lord had departed from him. He needed extra strength, but he failed to access it. He put his eye, they put his eyes out. A reminder that sin is blinding, sin is binding, and sin is grinding. David, 2 Samuel 11 and verse 27, and when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. David done all kinds of things, and, and things seemed to be flowing along, and so he could justify his sin of murder and lying and adultery. And all that went into that, he's king. Nobody's going to stand against the king. No one's going to stop him. But that one portion of the verse in 2 Samuel 11 and verse 27, that thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And for an entire year, the man after God's own heart, he'd lay on his bed at night and sweat profusely. He would roll all over the bed, hurt, his, his muscles hurt, his bones hurt because he was a man that had lost the power of Almighty God. Solomon, 
mentions Samson, the strongest man in the Bible. David, perhaps the most spiritual man in the Bible. And Solomon, the smartest man in the Bible. The Bible says in 1 Kings 11 and verse 4, his heart turned from God. I'm saying sin. The dissipation of sin requires extra strength in our life. But not only the demands of service, the dissipation of sin, but number three, the devices of Satan. You know, Satan is working. He's always working overtime. If you haven't met him, it's because you're going in the same direction. But the devices of Satan, the disability of sickness is another reason we need some extra strength. But also one other, the devastation of sorrow. A broken heart. The wind knocked out of your cells. I want you to see number three. What is the requirement for obtaining extra strength? How is it you're going to gain extra strength? Well, notice in verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. The requirement for obtaining extra strength. He says, wait upon the Lord. Now that's an active engaging. That's active. That's deliberate, purposeful, engaging with God. Psalm 27 and verse 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. In other words, this is not passivity. This is not sitting back. This does not mean that we're to wait on the Lord to do something for us. No, it means that we're to do something for God. It's like when you go into a, a department store and someone asks, is someone waiting on you? Is someone serving you? Is someone ministering to you? Is someone trying to help you? It's going into a restaurant, you have a waiter. He doesn't sit in a trance expecting you to get your own food and water. No, he serves you. She ministers to you. They're there for the purpose, supposedly, to please you. The first step to conquering and controlling stress in our life is to get a handle on just exactly who it is you're trying to please, who it is you're trying to serve, and who it is you're, you're trying to engage with. We're to wait actively on the Lord. We've been put on this earth to serve God before we've been put on this earth to serve others. Every day we need to be still before God, to spend time with God. If you do not have a regular quiet time with the Lord, you're going to suffer stress. As a matter of fact, God sometimes uses stress to force you to have that quiet time. And challenging the, the staff and, 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 and I listen to... And we, we have several, so there's, there's a, 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 a little over a handful there we're dealing with, with teachers, and, and probably about 10 of them we were talking about. So I say that in, in a generality so as to uh, protect the guilty. But I listen to the complaining, and I listen to the, the whining about just too much. I listen to them, it's just so hard. I just, we just, it's just, it's just, this is, this is really hard. And, and I don't know whether the throat punch them 
And you say, well, that is mean. Well, they're being crybabies. Have you ever heard of the name Paul? You want to read about what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, what was hard? Well, I didn't get my mandatory 15-minute break so I can deal with the shipwreck that we just went through. God didn't put that into the, uh, the, the work package that I signed up for. Do you know that God allowed... And, and by the way, uh, whenever somebody dies, am I supposed to say, oh, you, 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 you missed office hours. And somebody's rushing to the hospital. Well, no, I'm sorry. Um, you don't have to just, let's just pick this up tomorrow. I mean, pe- people stop with, with a whole lot lesser of a situation, but it's a big deal to them. I said to the staff, you know what the difference between a big trial and a little trial? A big trial is what I go through. A little trial is what you go through. To everybody, what they're going through is a big deal. What, what, what my kids are going through at the age of 10 and, and 8 and 7, that's a big deal. Jesus invites every one of us to cast all of our cares upon him for he cares for the big deal. But what we can't do is complain when he places things on our life that creates a scenario that reminds us, I need him. And so what we're looking to do is be more effective in serving the Lord without the Lord equipping. That's like going to the gym and saying, I, 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 I didn't know I was going to sweat in here today. I, I, I didn't know I was going to have to push some weights. Or it's like interviewing one of the football players after a game and say, well, how did it go? Well, I didn't know we were putting on pads because somebody was going to hit me. And yet we have God's people, not even God's people, but supposedly people who want to, to be a part of the, the ministry service, the business of getting into the mess of people's lives, who are always, I'm so understand why we just got, we, we just can't, why can't I have 10 hours of sleep each night? Well, you can. Yeah, go, go, go find a trash collecting job somewhere. Well, mama said, Call your mama then. I'm telling you, God is in the business of helping us see miracles, but you're not going to see miracles while you're telling God, no. No. And there was a time in, in, in our country where we heard the greatest generation was the generation known as what era? What is it? World War II. Those teenage boys going off to war, ain't nothing going to stop us. Now all you have to do is just hurt somebody's feelings, and we've done laws. The, the whole college was shut down because somebody got their feelings hurt. Where, where are the special forces of the people of God? Jesus called them Disciples. Disciples. You know what Jesus said? His, his bold print and fine print. When you signed up to be in the school of Jesus, here, here's what he said. Follow me. Um, 
What about? No, I said follow me. But what's the package? What's my retirement package? Have you ever heard of heaven? Follow me. Well, how do I get married? Follow me. What, what about the, the success of my ministry? Jesus said, follow me. Listen, I'm so sick and tired of people treating ministry like it's some business. You run your business the way the world tells you to run your business. Ministry ought to be run just like a business ought to be run. That is by seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And seek ye first doesn't mean seek God number one. Then seek what, what the financial institutes say number two. And then see what your friends say number three. And find out what mama thinks number four. No, seek ye first means seek God and seek God number one. Seek God number two. Seek God number three. And however many numbers you can put on your paper... It means seek God and his righteousness and all these things, other things, whatever else you need, it'll be added unto you. See, what we're trying to do is eliminate stress. Jeremiah said in chapter number 12, verse 5, that if you're struggling with the footmen, how are you going to contend with the horses? Jeremiah, if you're weary just keeping up with the footmen, how are you going to handle it whenever the, the horses come along and, and you're complaining about this matter of your life? And that's why Paul says to Timothy, whenever a man is being sought to be the bishop, being a pastor, when your man is sought to be a deacon, he can't be a novice. A novice doesn't mean he's just a new Christian. It means he doesn't understand even the basics of Christianity. Oh, he can pass the test on paper, but he's not passing the test in experience because he's void of the power of God. Experiencing God in my heart and in my home doesn't mean I'm content with being a good person. Experiencing God in my heart and my home means that I, I am seeking, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty to be a godly person. I get so weary of people who are constantly falling to pornography, falling to pornography, falling to pornography, and yet wanting to be used of God and wonder, why am I struggling? Why can't I get through this? Why am I struggling with my anger? Why can't I be a better Christian? Why can't I see people saved? It's because you don't know the power of Almighty God. You ought to know better. If you've been saved a day and have God in you and you believe the Bible's to be true, Quit sucking your thumb. Quit being a baby. Quit being a crybaby. Wish I knew how to be plainer because it's, it's a big deal. The first step to conquering and controlling stress in your life is to get a handle on just exactly who it is we're to please. Vance Habner once made a wise observation. He said, there's no work that is more likely to crowd out your quiet hour with God than the very work that draws the strength from that quiet hour. How do you wait upon the Lord? Well, Psalm 62 and verse 1, Truly my soul waiteth, from, uh, waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. How do you wait upon the Lord? Long for the Lord. 
You know why people don't hunger and thirst for God? Because you're having your appetites quenched at the wrong fountain. That's like people say, I don't like eating greens. I don't like eating Brussels sprouts. I don't like eating green beans. I don't like, well, it's because you're eating all the junk. I don't like doctrine. I don't like systematic theology. I don't like the preaching on the attributes. I don't like expository preaching. I don't like reading, experiencing God. No, it's because you're being satisfied by junk. Long for the Lord. How do you wait upon the Lord? Long for the Lord. Proverbs 8, 34. Listen to the Lord. Blessed is the man that heareth me watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. Long for the Lord. Listen to the Lord. Then look to the Lord. Psalm 104 verse 27. These wait upon all upon thee that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. And here is another one. Live for the Lord. Proverbs 27, 18. He that waiteth on his master shall be honored. Long for the Lord. Listen to the Lord. Look to the Lord. Live for the Lord. See, God's not in the, 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 this matter of alleviating. No, God's in the matter of enabling. Remember the first time Brother Davison was here, Sam Davison, I, I met with him while I was in evangelism discussing the matter. I believe God may be switching, moving, calling, redirecting to the pastorate and and so when Brother Davison got here, he said, Ingram, he said, how's, how's pastoring been going? I said, it's been hard. This is, there's nothing like evangelism. You've, you've heard me say that before. I mean, there's just no comparison. And I said, it's hard. And I started talking about just the, 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 the differences in study, the difference in and just different, different things, how hard it was. And Brother Davison is just going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then when I took a breath and it was just kind of getting... It was, it, was just, it was just waxing eloquent. I just had my whole list of hard things. And I was putting a lot of color to it. And Brother Davidson said, well, sure it is. Sure. And I sensed a hint of sarcasm in that last sure. Sure. He said, if it wasn't hard, God would be calling little girls to do it. To which I think I replied something like, did I say it was hard? I don't, I, don't, I don't think I said anything about it being hard. Because that's life. Do you see anything in Jesus' life that looked easy? But what do you see Jesus doing an awful lot? Praying? Because he was living in dependence upon the strength and enabling of the Spirit of God and his Heavenly Father. Again, what's, what is needed? What's the requirement for obtaining extra strength? Here it is. Wait upon the Lord. We just mentioned that. Wait upon, that's an active engaging. How do we wait? Well, long for the Lord. Listen to Him. Look to the Lord. Live for the Lord. Be mindful about Him. But, but here's another key verse here. Notice in in verse number 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall, you see it in verse 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall, what's the word? Renew. What's the word renew? It's this, exchange. The word renew is a Hebrew word. It means to exchange strength. 
What do we do whenever you feel stressed? I don't have any strength. Lord, I can't do this. I used to feel bad. I used to feel very sheepish about having to admit I can't do it. Now I'm, I'm, I'm excited to remind the Lord, I can't do this. Because the next step in that equation is I can't, but God can. But the Bible says here, renew, that is exchange. How does a person get saved? By exchanging. They exchange their sin, their sick sin soul for Christ's righteousness. So we exchanged by faith. Listen, some of you coming here, I'm not sure that everybody who's coming to church is saved. Coming to church does not mean you're saved. Growing up in church does not mean you're saved. Judas Iscariot was in the school of Jesus. He is in hell tonight. Jesus said in Matthew 7, not everybody that says to me in that day, last day, that says, Lord, Lord, will they enter into his kingdom? And they're going to say, did we not preach in your name? Did we not cast out devils? Did we not do ministry and miracles? And Jesus said, I will look at them at that day and say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. See, you can come to church. You can join a church. You can have your name on the church roll. And that's not the same as having your name in the Lamb's book of life. Tomorrow, there's going to be a group that'll fly out in the morning. The Autrys and the Ingram family, they're going to be flying to Wisconsin. Brother Cherry and I will be flying to Virginia for another meeting. So we're all going to be flying out. You can go with us. You can travel in the caravan to the airport. You can get out. You can even have your suitcase. You can go through the airport. But they're not going to let you on the airplane unless you have a ticket. You can say all you want to, who you are and why you think you should get on there, but don't look at your phone right now. It's very important. Some of you are heading straight to hell because you have never exchanged your sin for God's salvation. It's a big deal. You take your last breath without Jesus, you'll die and go to hell just like the, the most eloquent, sophisticated preacher who's not saved. Have you ever exchanged your lost sinful state for the salvation of Jesus Christ? I'm telling you, church family, you've got guests who come and guests who will will come and sit. You ought to be talking to them about their soul. Well, I'm afraid they'll be offended. I'm afraid they won't be offended. I'm afraid they won't be disturbed about going to hell. You can go to any church around and they'll make you feel good about who you are and what you are as long as you'll give to them a little bit. We're not here for your silver and gold. We're here because there's a soul that Jesus died for and it is a big deal. You must be convinced that you need to exchange. Was there ever a time, not when you prayed a prayer, but was there ever a time that Jesus Christ came into your life And saved your soul. You knew you were heading to hell. You knew you needed Jesus. Religion. Religion is the the uniform of Satan. He will help you be religious. But it's a relationship with Jesus that he died to give us. When you get saved, 
We're to live the Christian life the exact same way. Exchange. I don't have to exchange to get saved over and over again. But I exchange because I still need thee every hour. Moment by moment, I need him. The Christian life, Jesus died one time, buried one time, resurrected one time. You get saved one time. Let me ask you, when did you get saved? If you don't know when you got saved, you need to get saved. If I were to ask you, when did you get married? You don't sit there and wonder, have I ever been married? Am I married? I can't really remember. Now I know some of you wives feel like your husbands think that way. They can't remember that anniversary date, but... They've got the bills to prove they are married, so it's, you know, they still know it's, it's true. If I were to ask you, when's your birthday? You know, say, well, I've always had a birthday. No, you haven't. And Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again. Just as you were born into this world physically, you must be born into this world and to God's family, however, spiritually. When you get born into the family of God, then day by day, you exchange your no strength for his strength. Some of you, you'll stand before Jesus. You'll remember the time you pulled out your phone to not pay attention. It'll be too late then. You'll remember the time you were texting when God was trying to text you. It'll be too late then. What will you do with Jesus? That determines what he'll do with you. When you get saved, it doesn't eliminate the problem of stress. But he has extra strength available. When you come to him the same way you did when you got saved, God, I can't do this, you can, and you exchange your no strength for his. Would you look at it one more time? I want you to see this and and I'll be done. But I want you to see what he says. I think this is so significant. Notice in verse 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall re- renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Do you see the order It seems anticlimactic the way he words it. I would think he would say it this way. You walk and then you run and then you fly. But that's not what he says. You mount up with wings as eagles, that's flying. Then you run and not be weary, that's running, so that you walk and not faint. Why did God go from that which seemingly is anticlimactic, why did he go at it from a seemingly reverse order? And here's why. Because he's saving the best for the last. Most of us live our lives dealing with every day. Not with great crisis every day, but just the Monday. 
Most of my life and your life tomorrow will be the day-by-day necessities. And what we need is, yes, the power to soar. Yes, we need the power to surge. But we also need the power just to stick to it. I'm glad there are times whenever we need to rise up with wings as eagles. He has power for that. There's a time where we need to run. He has power for that. But most of the time, we just need power to walk, be steadfast, unmovable, and stick to it. Stick to it. What happened with Demas? He just stopped sticking to it. God had all the power Demas needed, and he has it for us. Let's stand together, please.